Hey everybody, this is Melissa McKenzie, American Spectator, with Scott McKay, also the American Spectator and Reviver and writing the book and doing all the things. So okay. <laughs> because Scott is doing all the things, he wrote a piece that's up on the American Spectator today um, that has quite a few interesting comments too. Uh, it's called Patriots Are Starting to Hate American Too. He name drops me of all people. I read through it and I was like, I actually, Scott was talking to someone I mean, who's like- Promoting the spectacle when I did that. Yeah. So you're supposed promoting... to promote the podcast, you know? Yes, I know. You promoted the podcast. So somebody uh, wrote to me and this will probably make you laugh like it makes my brother laugh, who said that he goes, well, for as, as discouraged as you are about the future of America, he, you've maintained your sense of humor. And I was like, now there might be people who do got that going for you. You got that going for me. And I was like, well, no one really likes a, you know, a Debbie Downer in a foxhole. You know, it's, it's no fun. But I'm not sure I have a sense of humor. My brother probably um, dispute that fact. But one of the, the title of the piece, and it's referring to uh, some research uh, or some surveys done at CNN, um, is patriots are starting to hate America too. And I thought it might be uh, useful, Scott, if I just talk to the people who are listening, anybody who reads our stuff about kind of where I'm coming from, and then I'm not going to say this kind of thing again. But I feel like I need to because it, Tucker brought it up. Yeah. And and you know how a weird confluence of things happen at the same time? So I just so happened to be reading C.S. Lewis's book. It's a, it's actually a trilogy. Can you guys see it? Um, I'm not like, oh, well, we've got the blurred thing. <laughs> there we stuff. go. Okay, so you can see C.S. Lewis. And it's uh, the last part of the trilogy. Yeah, that hideous strength. This hideous strength that people are talking about right now. One of our young new writers, who, if you haven't found him yet, his name is Sam uh, McCarthy, and he uh, was actually friends of George Newmeyer. He's a Catholic writer. I highly recommend you start uh, reading his work at the American Spectator. We're happy to have him. He's a new addition. Anyways, he's talking about this book. Well, I just happen to be reading the book at the same time that all the C.S. Lewis stuff is coming up. And the reason why C.S. Lewis is coming up is because anyone who has eyes to see is seeing what Lewis saw in the in the run-up to and during World War II, which is when this book was written. Right. And so while I am, I think America as it, as those in my generation, the boomers or whatever, is over, just as the world after World War II was over compared to the way it was pre-World War II, like the as it existed, technology changed, uh, people are the same, human nature is the same, which is obvious, which is why we see the themes here in the book resonating for people. So like, yes, I'm negative about the state of America, but I'm actually an optimist, but it's not because of any political point of view that I have. It's because of my spiritual perspective. People ask me all the time, how can you kind of be in the mud with all of this 
and it's been a long time, as you point out in the article, that I've been in the mud with all this and not just completely lose my mind. Well, if I did not have faith in a higher calling that God existed, all of these things, um, and I wasn't rooted in truth, I would be lost because I wouldn't necessarily be, I, 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 this is the kind of worldview I don't understand, the people kind of bumbling along in the middle. You know, I don't fault the people on the left, the kids who are cutting and, and distraught and suicidal, whatever. If your hope is in this world and in technology and in what is right now, you're not wrong to be sad and feeling empty. Right. This world, the way it is, is a discouraging, uh, technologically distant, falsely intimate, uh, anonymous, um, cruel place. I mean, yeah. it, and so like in that, uh, a normal reaction to that without God, without faith is discouragement and despair. And so you start looking for external solutions to that problem, whether it be making yourself from male into female or female to male or finding the latest thing or aborting that baby because you think that baby will ruin your life when your life is already sad and and you're trying to grasp onto some solution, some material thing that will make your life better. So I don't fault the people who have that perspective. But on the right, what is just so discouraging to me is that people who should know better are doing the same things that 10 years ago was middle of the road for the left. And it's going to kill us. And it's not going to just kill us as a patriotic uh, American country, as a citizen. It's killing our souls. It's the kind of thing that sends you to hell if you do not repent whether it's hell of your own making or if it's actually uh, the bad place, as one of my sons call it, after you die. You cannot do, we cannot continue doing some of the things we're doing. And I'm just going to lay some things out. And these are going to make people angry because no one wants to hear about this kind of talk, but I'm going to do it once. I told Scott, I'll do this once and then I'm not going to say it again, but this is why I'm discouraged. Even on the right, even on uh, amongst people who are so-called conservatives, we have rampant fornication. How many people do you know, Scott, on the right who cheated on their wives, who cheated on their husbands, who are supposedly God-professing Christians, who wreck everything they touch, and then so-called talk about godly values, all right? Then you, and, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, I wrote this article about CPAC where all the young people are, it was just a whorehouse and, and we're supposed conservatives. What exactly are we conserving? Yeah. Certainly not social moring. And well, it's, it's very hard to, to, um, to talk the talk as a, you know, conservative 
at least half of the philosophy of which is, you know, focuses on the need for a virtuous population that deserves right. the freedom that conservatism is also based on. Right. Um, and then be immersed in hookup culture. Right. I mean, there's no ambiguity as to what that produces. Like we've had a half a century of, of data that we can, you know, since the you know sexual revolution, we know what comes from this. So to engage in that, well, you know, that's just how my generation operates. It's like that's why your generation is like the least successful in American history so far. Right. Is because you have bad habits. And if you're going to rise above that and if you're going to embrace a philosophy that leads to rising above that, walk the walk. And, I, you know, there's not enough of that within the conservative movement to try to better ourselves as people. And I think that's reflective of society, because when I was a kid. And you let's say you, you know, your parents would drag you to dinner at somebody's house or whatever. And you just sit there and you listen to the adults have a conversation. They didn't talk about I mean, the, the old rule was you don't talk about religion or politics at the dinner table. Right. Um, they filled the time talking about other things. They would talk about life and it would come down to, you know, hey, what kind of life are you living? And it, not, not in a judgy sense, but sort of there were life lessons to be learned about, you know, somebody's trouble or uh, mm -hmm. some situation that a friend had run into. Like, those are the things that people like used to talk about all the time. And I'm not saying they don't. I mean, I, I, I was at a, a, a big thing yesterday and it was actually a big political thing. Nobody talked about politics. They were talking about this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. which was really refreshing. Um, and then everybody went home early. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, the sort of wiring of everybody's social brain is different now. And I think it's part of a media culture that has kind of inserted itself and everything is political in, in media culture. And so that's kind of seeping into people's social lives way more than it used to be in the 70s or 80s. I mean, you just didn't really have that much political discussion. Now it's all you hear. Yeah, but um, the thing is, the, the reason we didn't have that much political discussion is because people mostly generally agreed yeah. about the basic things. Now, I, right. I'm going to say, I'm going to disagree with you here. I do not think this is a problem exclusively with the younger generation i think no the fruit no I, I, I hope you didn't get the, the impression that i was saying i mean my parents are you know fox news junkies and i just had them in town last week and you know not to like talk down to mom but like i'm hey guys i do politics all day i don't want to talk about politics while y'all are here let's let's do life and they were okay with that but you know 30 minutes later it's like what did we say? No more politics. And I, you know, especially for retired people, I, have, I mean, they watch TV a lot and that media culture will infect old people, just like it will kids uh, who are plugged into it for different reasons. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I, th I mean, I think this affects people on both ends. And then folks in, say, Generation X are probably the least political people of the bunch because we actually have all the things going on, right? Like we're the ones that are still, you know, like in the middle of our 
careers and you know raising kids at home and those like so we have less time to deal with the political piece and the you know media culture and its effects on us and i think that might be why people your age and my age melissa are maybe most critical of the effects that all this is having on society because we're trying to hold on to reality and we're of an age where the reality is more important. To, it's less important if you're retired because you can basically withdraw from the world. And if you're a kid, you don't control any of it. So you just kind of go with the flow. But if you're in your 40s or 50s, I mean, this is like, you know, you're in charge of this stuff um, on a daily basis. And so I, I think I see more Generation X people stressing about this stuff than I see old people who are basically checked out and are like, yeah, I'll be dead soon. So it's not that big a deal for me, but boy, the rest of y'all are screwed. And then the kids who just like, they don't know anything. Um, so that, I, I think we're kind of in the middle and that's why we care so much. Well, this is the, the thing is, is that I, that's not exactly what I meant as far as generationally. What I meant was, is that our generation and the older generation are still doing things that are immoral. So like, for example, we have a lot of people now who have born, been born, and this is why I said it's going to make people mad, who have been born uh, in a test tube. The parents who did anything they could to have a child also had other babies that ended up being aborted um, or sit, still sit in a test tube. What I'm saying is the decisions that we're making whether we want to consciously think about the fact or not that we're killing children, I'm saying people on the conservative side are doing that and it is ruining their souls because they're compromising and then it makes them not see all the ways that these compromises lead to bad ends. And so then, so the person who's cheated on their spouse, the person who's been a whore, before they got married, the person who is uh, has an STD, has a couple abortions, has killed off embryos, is undermining themselves morally for everything else. Their lack of virtue makes them ignore other lacks of virtue. And let's talk about some of those things. We have people who, big business people, who are all for um, the undocumented illegal immigrants coming into America. Why? Because they want cheap labor. So the big business people don't give a shit about these the, the human uh, realities, the human trafficking, the drugs that are brought in. So the very same conservative big business people who will talk about the social ills in San Francisco don't make the connection between their own choices to keep an open border, to bring in these people that uh, to not deal with China and to not deal with the drug situation that results in the misery that we're seeing on the streets of the big cities. We have, and, and it's a problem on the left too. So we've got you know uh, a mayor in New York complaining that the, uh, Governor Abbott is just shipping a, a tiny, infinitesimally small fraction of illegal aliens that are overwhelming the state I live in, which is Texas, which our taxpayers are having to bear the brunt. I feel kind of like uh, 
from Lord of the Rings, like it's our people who are keeping your world safe from this terrible, terrible, from the Sauron from the South and nothing is being done to help. And so when we send a few people up North, they're mad, but they want the, but the big donors want that cheap labor too. Who's going to take care of these rich liberals and in some cases conservatives in their dotage, if not lots and lots of young cheap labor. And so, so we have, what I'm saying is, is that our, the moral corruption leads to places where you have uh, FTX happening. You have banks failing because of, um, you know, idiotic DEI policies and emphasizing the wrong things and then being careless with the deposits. And then you have a Fed who is irresponsible and, you know, on and on it goes. And we're reinforcing the irresponsibility by bailing these people out for doing stupid things. Part of the problem is that the Fed is causing this chaos to begin with because we have immoral, unvirtuous, uh, frankly, evil people running the country. So while I am, that is what is discouraging me. And then, so like you wrote your, your article, and then in the comments section, we have uh, a, a commenter, Dark Cloud, whoever that is. So after working nonstop for 40 years plus, I am going to indulge in some serious sex, drugs, and rock and roll. My ducks are in a row and I put off instant gratification and because of it, I am sitting pretty. Really? Really happy boomer? Okay. I'm really glad that uh, cheap, easy money was extant for most of your adult life and that you are benefiting from it. But you have wrecked and been part of what has wrecked the country going forward. We are pay we are about to pay a big stiff price. And people are like la 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 as long as I have my lake house. In your dotage, maybe run for a school board position and help where parents like you know, Melissa, why didn't you run for school board 10 years ago when you saw the stuff going on public schools? Because I had kids in the system and they would be penalized for having a parent who stood up for something, which is why the people who run for these positions are all toadies of the teachers union, generally speaking. Now, we've got new parents because things are so, so bad who that are really courageous and, and running against this. And that's a good thing. Um, but Tucker Carlson in his speech after his last you know, hurrah on TV. I don't think that he knew that it was at Heritage. Um, he's right. We have a problem. And he was saying, making the joke because he's a weak Episcopalian or whatever. And even he can see it. Right. And, you know, uh, we, we have, um, you know, Kennedy, who's running on the left, sees it. And you have some of these really strange kind of uh, people going, this has got to stop. But it won't stop if we have conservatives going, ha ha, I lived my life like I should, peace out. And then, and, you know, we can say, well, they've earned it. Well, 
okay, that's great. But our generation is about half the size of the boomers. What they say still goes. And and then we have the millennials who don't know what they don't know. Um, the solution to all of the things that I'm talking about to get back the more clarity is not one that can be found in politics. And I'm not sure if we keep like, I keep feeling like we're putting band-aids, band-aids on this, band-aids on that. No, we, it, we totally are. I mean, that the, you're, and this goes back a few years and I guess it was, um, I guess it must have been Douglas Murray that wrote uh, the book. Can't even remember the book title, but he, you know, he's talking about how Americans don't join anything anymore. The bowling leagues are all empty and this kind of stuff. And you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be political engagement, but civic engagement is yeah. down. Um, and civic engagement is especially down on the right because the left, you know, builds political machines and their people aren't really engaged, but they can turn them out to vote. Right. Um, whereas on the right, eh, you know, it's not that much of a thing. And I think a lot of that is um, you've had a large scale disillusionment with sort of the Bush Republicans, because um, one of the things, you know, I mean, and I hate the Bushes was a, such a burning passion for what they I, what I think they've done to the country is. There was this sense of complacency that, well, you know, we're going to make really good policies and they're going to fix everything. But of course, the policies were crap mm -hmm. because basically what you did was you slapped a conservative label on a bunch of liberal policies. It right. didn't do anything. You know, you did a Medicaid drug, a Medicare drug benefit and all this other kind of stuff that they did. None of which worked. OK, the economy was, I mean, you know, the open borders and all the rest of this stuff. Um, you gutted the uh, working class in the country. Uh, you gutted middle America with all these, you know, bringing everything in from China. Um, and you broke a lot of communities in doing that. And so between that and technological change, um, you know, the bowling leagues are empty. Um, and so a lot of the things that used to prop up communities, that kind of civil society, the space between the individual and government, um, was hollowed out. And if you remember when Barack Obama was on the scene, not that he's left the scene, but when he was the front guy for the Democrats, mm -hmm. um, he used to talk about all the time that, you know, all the Republicans bring to the table is individualism. And, you know, like you're going to get squ uh, squished like a bug when you have to go up against corporate America. And all. a lot of this was overwrought. Mm -hmm. um, and he totally dismantled, at least rhetorically, the effect of the civil society in standing between that. And I don't think that the people arguing against Obama did a very good job of bringing to the table. No, you know, I mean, this is about church basketball leagues and this is about you know women's clubs and then you know garden clubs and um bowling leagues and all of these different things that were sort of the um the you know voluntary groups that people join and all the stuff that yeah, going down to the lodge you know yeah, exactly whatever right. whatever it is whether you're a moose or a you know a lions club or whatever yeah and and the um the the Republican Party and the conservative movement, I think, has completely neglected the value of those groups. When your voters are the people who 
would be the ones staffing those groups, middle class, working class folks who never considered all of this as, you know, sort of the individual pursuit of the American dream. Mm -hmm. These are people that care about family. These are people who, you know, will have potluck dinners with the neighbors and those much more so than sort of the whatever inner city welfare class, whatever all of that is that you want to ascribe to the Democrat base. The Republicans are the ones that are supposed to be more engaged. They're the parents with kids, right? So you do all kinds of stuff. They're the ones plugged into other people in the community. And for whatever reason, the Republican party and even the conservative movement, particularly in the Bush era, totally neglected that as a, as a bedrock of society. Um, and watch the Democrats just completely wipe it out. I mean, you know, nobody puts their kid in the Boy Scouts anymore. You know why? Because the left came along and freaking sued them out of existence. Oh, you're not taking girls in the Boy Scouts. Well, no, there are Girl Scouts. So you put your girl in the girl. Oh, no, we got to have that because that's discriminatory. And oh, by the way, what about the gay kids? And it's like, well... Um, we don't really talk about sexuality in the voice. Oh, I don't know why you don't do that. That's just before you know it, everybody's like, you know what? Screw this. I don't want to do it. Um, mm. So that battle was lost for really lack of a fight. And the thing was, is that as the Boy Scouts went down, nobody stood up a new Boy Scouts that was that was better um, suited to fight off the left's assault on it. Right. And we're talking about the culture war here. All right. Um, but it's not like, I mean, when you say culture war, you think, oh, it's gay marriage and all this. It's not that. It's it's that space between the individual and the government. Mm -hmm. And that has been so hollowed out. I mean, Obama was beating the Republicans up about individualism while he and his people were actively destroying mm -hmm. that space in the middle. And they knew what they were doing. OK, I mean, they wanted to make it so the only way that you could reach out and get you know, whether it's help or fellowship or whatever from other people was through something public. Um, which well, is also, what that life of Julia thing in 2020, right. uh, 2012 was all about, right? Like it's the government that provides all of these things that, you know, makes her life uh, have meaning. Not that any of us looked at that and thought Julia had any meaning to her life, but such as it was, it was all because she plugged into these government programs, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's their philosophy of life. At the same time that he was hollowing out the space between the individual and corporate America by whacking all of the small businesses and mid-sized businesses in the country and making it so hard for somebody to grow, you know, an entrepreneurial shop into something big, you know, and, and every year he was president, there were fewer businesses extant in America than the year before. And it was because... People got to the point where you're successful. It's like, you know what? This is so hard to do now with all the regulations and taxes and everything else that they've, that they've put on me. I can't wait to sell my business to some big company and freaking eat, hit the eject button and go play golf. And like you said, check out and get out of the fight because it's too hard. Right. Um, and so you have a lot of those people roaming around and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. The country's you know dead in the water. And it's like, yeah, but what did you do? And I'm not blaming you necessarily, but like there's a whole lot of people that checked out and they're sitting on a pretty good sized bank account. Right. And they, they play golf at the club. 
Right. And good for you, but your talents are actually needed. And well, not just the, politically, the, but like in other things as well. I feel like there, there's a lot of people, um, you know, kind of like Nero playing the violin. Instead of the instead of the one, we've got like thousands of people kind of giving up. And you know, to your point about Obama, like it's happening right now. Where is the human cry against the Biden administration for imposing a, a $1,500 fee on people who have good credit who are buying a house? It's insane. It's insane. But this is the type of thing where, where are you? This is, this has got to, this kind of thing has got to stop. But the but there's this kind of vague malaise amongst uh and and this kind of uh imbibed uh, uh an accepted worldview that the left has put on or rather it's just too much to fight it where you're no That's one the can, issue is it's so pervasive it's so pervasive like what are you going to do um in your own small way to 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 fight this type of thing that we've just accepted that yeah white people have had a good pretty good detail deal you'll hear like some of the comedy of like Louis C.K. and talking about um and he's wrong you know right. he he's he's wrong about how he views the society so all of this to say I, I I could we could talk longer about this but I don't think we should I wanted one last time to discuss this and explain to the people what I'm discouraged about is that the institutions have wholly been taken over, that we are in a situation now where so many people are giving up, where the people who won in the system don't feel any obligation to fight for the system that benefited them anymore. There, uh, I feel like the boomer generation is ready to take what was given die and be like you know see you later suckers you know everybody else can just uh deal with what the decisions that they made by the way that started post world war ii in the yep. 60s all of this philosophical bullshit that has now come to uh fruit and fruition in the next two generations three generations and absolutely is being visited upon the youngest among us in the most perverse and um, I mean, we are literally child sacrificing. Parents are literally sacrificing their children, not in the just abortion, which is insane and terrible enough, but taking their little children and neutering them, sacrificing their ability to be pro, you know, to procreate, to have a future. They're literally stopping the evolution of their own lines and committing uh suicide for their family for their family in a slow version with all of this transgender nonsense and that's where we are now and oh well you know oh oh well that's not oh well while we're still living here kicking and breathing we've got to fight and i love this country i love america and I love the what the West created. I'm sorry, our culture is better. And we do not want to fall into the tribal morass that is around the world. And we do not want to fall prey and become so weak 
that the Chinese and the Russians don't even, why even take us over? Because they would have just a, you know, empty husk of people to, to deal with. I mean, better to let America rot. We're doing it well, well enough on our own. Who needs to conquer us? We've been, we're conquering ourselves. And so I see all of this. And um, I talked to um, a longtime activist like, late last night. And we were just talking about the evil being faced and how it's just so dark, even amongst the the um, a lot of the activists on the right who are trying to, harder, who are, and all I can say is, is that it's the work of Satan. I'm going to say it straight out, where they are working harder to tear each other down than actually fighting for the promotion of truth and, and, and order and beauty and all that is good. And so like what Tucker was talking about was absolutely true. And so if you, if you're listening to this and you find yourself in Hello Media Matters, because I know you're listening to it, if you find yourself on the side of the filth that the people of San Francisco are allowing, if you find yourself on the side of those who say that children, uh, um, black kids, in Chicago and Philadelphia who are terrorizing each other and all the businesses around. And if you're saying that that sort of chaos and disorder is good, you are on the side of evil. And if you are on the right, sitting on the side and doing nothing or doing everything you can do to tear someone else on the right down so that you can, you know, put your foot on them so you can, uh, have a leg up over your your competition because you have a different podcast or you have a different channel that you're on stop yeah recognize you you know zero value in playing crabs in a bucket right right well and the thing is we talk about on the right we need to recognize what time it is and then we act like we have all the time in the world in the world to undo the damage we're doing. Right. Stop. And and get your ass back in church, you all heathens on the right. I'm not even giving a shit about the left at this point. We got to clean our own house. Yeah. And so for all you politicians, compromise because you're cheating on your wives. And then the deep state has all that information. And so that's why you're a gutless scurve because you know all that will come out in the pages of the New York Times because the conduit between the Washington Post and the New York Times is, you know, don't stop giving ammunition. Yeah. You know, you could try this. This here's a crazy thought. Be a decent human being. Right. Do the right thing. (laughs) Honest people don't fear compromise. Yeah. It's it's really simple, right? Like if if your house is clean, there's very little they can do to you. They can, um, the, what they your can house do to isn't you? clean and you're at least honest about what your flaws right. are. They, yeah, okay, well, I did all this stuff, so right. you, know, you got me. All right, now it's out in the open and they can't blackmail you, right? Right. Um, and, you know, hey, if that's music you got to face and if it ends up destroying your career because, you know, you had um, whatever. I mean, I, like what comes to mind is, you know, David Vitter with the hookers. Right. Right. And it ultimately killed his political career. Um, It's not the end of the world for him. You know, I mean, like he lost an election for governor. He went and he went down trying to fight the good fight. 
you know, was he guilty of things that he shouldn't have done? Yeah. We're all sinners. Right. It, I mean, it is, it ha- you know, it is so it is. Here in Louisiana, we've had seven years of abject suffering because David Vitter lost, right? And there are a lot of people that want to blame him for that. It's like, no, the people that need the blame are the people that voted for John Bell Edwards twice. Right. We brought this down on ourselves. I mean, like, you know, so yeah, okay, Vitter committed his sin, but the voters of Louisiana committed his sin by putting an abject liar and a left-wing freaking wacko um, mm-hmm. in, in the governor's mansion, and he's destroyed this state. Right. Um, you know, and I mean, we've lost 200,000 people in net out migration over the past seven years. Um, you know, 40, what, no, 61,000 in the last two years, mm-hmm. um, you know, which puts us with, you know, New York and Illinois and California as uh, the states that have lost the most people per capita. And that's because of the choices that were made. Right. So everybody, look, I mean, face the fact that we're all sinners, face the fact that fixing this stuff is not going to be easy. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, if you know your C.S. Lewis and you know your Tolkien and some of these other great Christian writers who, you know, a century ago were talking about these subjects because you could see what was going on in the world post World War One. With you know the rise of fascism in Italy and communism in the Soviet Union and, and Nazism in Germany, they they saw in a different form a lot of what we see now. Okay, right. and those guys were and they you know they saw Fabian socialism in the UK. Okay, yeah. which was kind of a kinder, gentler version of the same economic philosophy. Well, wait, just that reminds me, I wanted to just interject there. So uh, John Dewey, who is the father of education here in America, again, post-World War II, uh, loved, you know, communist, and all of his, all of the seeds that he planted, you know, that Randy Weingarten is like the ugly little flower coming out of the garden, Dewey planted, which um, Paul Kanger wrote an article for the new magazine, our new magazine issues all about education. But we, this, everything, you know, you have to understand history to understand where we are now, but it needs to be fought. And so I am, there are so many heartening things happening in education in particular. So it can change. And like, when you're talking about like uh, the ed, uh, so that's education. Randy, you, you said that uh, uh, the lefties are turning on Weingarten. You know, why they didn't turn on her during the pandemic. Because is... they haven't suffered enough. Hey, before we get to that, yeah, we should yeah. talk a little bit about the budget. Um, okay, yeah. What's going on with that? Because that, you know, you, we want to actually talk about some heartening things. Something yeah. really interesting happened last night. Um, and I'm, I, I'll, I'll, uh, there's a piece at, uh, it's actually, it showed up at PJ media last night, Rick Moran wrote it. Um, and it's, it's all about how, uh, after weeks and weeks of, um, doing nothing but blaming the Republicans for the fact that, well, we're going to hit the date debt limit and why won't they send a clean debt limit bill or whatever? Um, I'll just read this. 
Uh, after weeks of saying he would never meet with House Republicans to raise the debt limit, Joe Biden was forced to cave to the GOP after his Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, gave Washington a drop-dead date for raising the debt ceiling June 1st. The date was at least a month earlier than most experts, experts were predicting, and with Republicans already having a debt limit bill in hand, Biden reluct reluctantly agreed to drop his demand for clean debt limit bill with no negotiations. Biden's position was never viable, so the president must now talk about budget cuts with the GOP or find a way to avoid, avoid the blame if the whole kit and caboodle goes south. Democrats have one bullet, bullet they could use. Because they control the Senate, they can bring a clean debt limit bill to the floor and dare the GOP House to defeat it. But it's not even clear that Democrats can pass a clean bill in the Senate, and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer may not risk it. Right. So the, the meeting is scheduled for May 9th, which is next Tuesday. Um, like this is a pretty significant development, I think, um, because and you know, here's the thing. You can kind of go through the uh, House GOP's debt limit budget bill that they passed and you can you know, you can find faults in it. It basically cuts about uh, I think it's four hundred and eighty billion dollars a year in federal spending, most of which is almost all of which nobody in America would feel. This is all Inflation Reduction Act uh, largesse that got blown into the federal uh, budget right at the end of the Democrats. I think it was a lame duck session when they actually passed this. So this is really just rescinding that, you know, that out of control spending. It's not like it's not a game changer of a, of a bill. And you'd say, well, it should have been. But the point is, this was brought out and passed. Um, and incidentally, Biden never thought the Republicans would have the stones mm -hmm. to pass this through the House. Mm -hmm. So they called his bluff. But they passed this thing and you can't go through that bill and say, oh, this is radical. It's, it's not. This is, I mean, it's $480 billion a year. So it's not like it's a nominal budget cut. But it's like they got rid of the low-hanging fruit and kind of stopped there. So the, the, the rhetorical position they're in, okay, or the argument uh, argumentation that they've got, the negotiating position they're in, is a really strong one, which is we're not cutting anything anybody would miss. And, you know, we're $33 trillion in debt, and you want to go more in debt, you've got to at least give up the crazy stuff you put into the budget over the last year you've got to at least give that back um there you know most polls i've seen the public is absolutely ready for this okay mm -hmm. and so like i think they looked at the biden team biden looked at this and said they're gonna cave we can beat them all we got to do is play a game of chicken and they're starting to realize that they could lose that um, they're starting to realize that the public is really ready for this fight. Um, and they're hearing it from Joe Manchin, who is seeing the end uh, mm -hmm. when Jim Justice got into that race. And I'm not even sure Jim does Justice is going to win the Republican nomination. Mm -hmm. But anybody who beats Justice will be as strong or stronger than Justice in a state that is almost a, a uniparty Republican state west virginia right now i mean there's mm -hmm. joe manchin's the last democrat left so if he has any chance of holding on and getting another term in the senate he's got to basically act like a republican from now on out 
I don't even know if that'll save him. But like playing Democrat from here on out, he's definitely gone after mm -hmm. next November. And he knows that. And to Joe Manchin, losing an election is like the worst thing that could ever happen to him. Um, so you don't have Manchin, which means you, you have 49. And you don't have Dianne Feinstein because... I thought she's nobody has Diane Feinstein. She's convalescing in San Francisco. And she's like I said, she's fifty-one point six percent dead. So, <laughs> um, so like really functionally, you have forty-eight, and I'm not even sure how much of Kirsten Cinema you have because she's in a similar situation as Manchin. So for them to try, okay, we're going to go pass a clean debt limit bill. Okay, well, you might lose Cinema and Manchin or probably will, if that's what you do, and you get into this fight where you're on the wrong side of the public. And I'm not predicting wonderful things are going to happen here. I'm just saying, um, first of all, the assumption was that the GOP was going to fold, and mm -hmm. the dead well, limit bill that came out I mean, out that's a safe people. assumption, right, though? I mean, that's well, a safe assumption, because they always do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get I get, I get so. that. But so far in this fight, that's mm -hmm. not what's happening. Right. Um, and the the political momentum in this, for really the first time in one of these debt limit fights, actually looks like it may be um, on the Republican side. And I mean, at some point that was going to happen because you can't continue to spend, you know, a trillion, two trillion more than you bring in every year. Like, you can't do it. Sooner or later, everybody's going to get it. You're going to have an economy that's in a recession. I mean, you know, you can, well, the argument is there that we're there now, for sure. Right. I mean, that's what um, Elon Musk was saying to, right. uh, you know, Larry Summers on uh, Twitter today. He was like, you know, raising interest rates right now would be an absolute disaster. We are already... Um, well into the recession because Larry Summers said that he 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 sees in the next 12 months a recession happening Elon Musk is like what are you talking about like, we're already there and you guys fly, you know? yeah, hello and everybody else is kind of going and I don't know if you've noticed but like we had another bank failure on Friday and yep, and more time. are coming we've there's like a I saw the over at Zero Hedge he had an article and you know, I, I haven't looked at it now, but um, regional banks across the United States um, are dropping like rocks. And one thing that's quietly been happening, we talked about it before, is still happening, is people are taking money out of their bank accounts. And so there's already a, a liquid crisis going on in the banking system. Well, and, and there's, a, there's a big imbalance because these banks all made loans based on a Fed rate that was lower than it is now. Right. And so, the, I mean, like all of those loans are losers. Right. Um, you know, and then you you got, you know, people want to get their money out and it puts the banks in an impossible situation. It's not good, by the way, that like they immediately sold First Republic off to J.P. Morgan. Mm -hmm. That's, I can tell you, that is not, across the board, it's bad. Politically, right. it's bad. People look at that and they go, oh, okay, so this is the elite, right? Mm -hmm. Taking getting taking advantage of the common man even more. I mean, you know, it's not like the first Republic people were like working class Joes living in Levittown or something like that. Right. But compared to Jamie Dimon, you know, they are. 
Um, it's going to cost this last bank bailout is costing the American taxpayer, the average Joe, $16 billion. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and it's like, well, where's that money come from? Because you guys don't have any money, right? right. Um, so I, all of this is untenable. All right. And I, I think people are starting to get it more than they have in the past. So when you start looking like, okay, well, what is all of this federal money done for you? Right. Like, I mean, what, like, what is, what value are you getting out of this? And you're, you know, most people kind of would scoff at the question. Pfft, I haven't gotten anything out of the federal government in a long time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, what, what do you think I get out of it? Nothing. Mm -hmm. So for them, like, they're going to take the position, oh, well, if we hit the debt ceiling and we can't borrow any more money and we have to have a government shutdown, like, this is a disaster. And everybody's just like, yeah, whatever. Because, I mean, we've seen this over and over again. They keep doing this dance and you know, shutting down the national parks and doing all the, remember all the petty stuff that Obama did when there was that government shutdown? It's like 2014. I, yeah, the worst was roping off open parks so that I mean, disabled was, you know, World War II vets couldn't go and see the memorial. Yeah, I mean, I mean it was it was just, it was, I mean, contempt is the word, yeah. Really, that that describes that. Um, you know, and I, 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 you can't do that again. If you do it again, the reaction is going to be intensely negative because it's so in your face. And I think people are kind of well. The difference is, the is game that in your face now. Yeah. No. The difference is is that people didn't want to. Uh, the left would say that Obama could do no wrong. The right was stymied because if they said something, they were racist. So you had that. You don't have yeah, those yeah. two factors with Biden. Nobody likes Biden right now. The left doesn't like Biden. So Biden doing crappy Biden things to the American people. Uh, it's one thing that if it's on the down low, like those uh, payments that you have to make if you have a decent credit score. It's another thing out overtly. I think that he's not going to have the same kind of... Um, deference that by or obama had right. you know I, I think that's that's definitely a factor okay which i mean so what are you going to do you're going to put kamala harris out front and open like she's the one roping off <laughs> yeah i mean the thing is that's why that's why well this will help a lot you know well that's why biden made her the borders are anything to make yeah. her look more terrible so yeah i mean sure he put in make it i mean he's so terrible and rotten well speaking of his family is so terrible and rotten uh his rotten kid is in arkansas you know before the judge basically um and you mentioned this i think in um was it your piece talking about uh, or another piece that i read about the two hundred forty thousand that she gets already but that they will I, I they don't want the girl to have the biden last name yeah can they even stop that i mean like no but that's, no i don't see i was like why is this even a legal thing well, who could not who well, can and the argument is so bizarre which is well there's so many attacks on my dad that it doesn't actually benefit her if we call her mm -hmm. biden and it's like mm -hmm. so you admit that <laughs> the biden name is infamous why would that be true, Hunter? 
right? Like, is it anything you may have done that would that would engender this? I mean, yeah. like, they're awash in stupid arguments. Um, and I he's guess saying, we, he's saying, by the way, that he's broke and his, you know, uh, the attorney being so expensive, like, you know, all these big DC guns walking into Ar Arkansas, you know, like guns blazing. And then um, Biden, you know, Hunter's argument is that I, I'm sorry, I'm poor. <laughs> Yeah. these guys are sucking me dry it's like yeah <laughs> why don't you sell another one of your nose paintings for two hundred thousand dollars and fix the problem are you kidding me better yet fire all your attorneys and give that money to your sweet yeah fatherless baby right settle it settle maybe it. you should settle it it's your mm -hmm. kid like right this is proven that it's your kid uh such trash. Well, they are trash. trash. And the fact that, you know, Grandpa Joe, right, refuses to acknowledge yeah. this. I mean, who does that? These are not real people. I mean, these are like, these are pod people. No, they're it's Democrats. Like, oh, it's my grand. Hey, it doesn't matter how your granddaughter was born. The damage is done. All right. right. At least, at least, oh, like, yeah, okay. Well, you know, that was a mistake Hunter made, not my, not me. This is my granddaughter. I'll take my granddaughter and we'll bring her to the White House. We'll do the whole thing. I may not be interested in her stripper mom showing up, but the grandbaby's welcome, right? right. People right. do that all the time. And I mean, the Bidens can't do it. It's like, oh, why? Because your family virtue is so spotless that it can't be, be you know, sullied by the be presence of this right. illegitimate kid. And it's like, uh, okay, like, there's only so far we're willing to go to tolerate this stuff, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, so far, the I, I can't believe. So like in that CNN poll that you had in your piece, the people on the left were like, well, he's better than Trump, even though the yeah. economy is objectively worse. The right. world is objectively worse. The, People lie to themselves and they don't care. I have a feeling that we could be in nuclear war, have a have the whole banking system collapse, everybody eating worms to survive, and the left would be like, at least he's not Trump. Not worms, <laughs> bugs. Bugs. You must eat the bugs. That's right. like that's the plan. Um, you know, I, well, look, and you're right. And and going back to our first topic, there is that element, right? The left is overwhelmingly atheistic now, okay? And so this kind of woke political religion has taken the place of Judaism, Christianity, whatever, in their eyes. Makes you wonder uh, why they care about Hunter banging a stripper and having a kid. I mean, the thing is, you, on the left, there's no morality anyway. So what do you care? Just welcome this kid. Heck, welcome the mom. Um, you know, the, she's just a she's just a worker. I mean, that's what we've heard about this, right? She's, yeah. you know, just it's a sex worker. She's a sex worker. There's nothing wrong with being a nothing sex worker. Wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's no there's no moral sanction against that. No. Well, I mean, look, don't don't try to analyze. Uh, the left or the Bidens or the Democratic Party's elite, don't try to analyze them on the basis of hypocrisy because you will literally drive oh, yourself insane. Oh no. Yeah. You know, I mean, and the projection that comes out of these guys. But the point I was making, and then I, 
you know, maybe we should move on because this next subject that we've touched on a little bit is actually very related to this. But, the, you know, the point I was making is for these people, left wing politics is a religion. That's why they could never get over Donald Trump being the president, because that was such a rejection of them. Um, because here was somebody who had never even been involved in politics other than to write checks for people. And he, you know, like he comes in the American people would rather have the you're fired guy from The Apprentice than the most qualified politician in American history, right, in 2016. And then he basically comes in and says, yeah, all of this stuff you believe is crap, mm -hmm. right? And I just got elected president on the basis of all of your stuff being crap. They could like that's an existential rejection that these people simply could not stomach. And for four years, they were abjectly insane. Um, you know, and on the right now that kind of we're on the outs. Um, I think you're right to say that all these people have checked out and it's a bad thing and we need them and, and all that. But I think that there's a coping mechanism in place here that a lot of these folks are like, you know what, if it's every man for himself, then then it's me for myself. And I didn't make the rules, but I'm going to live by them. Um, and that's rational. It's not productive. We can't like we'll never get this fixed unless it turns. Um, but it is rational. You know, if somebody is I mean, they you know, they kind of set themselves up. And it's like I can go live at the lake house and have a whole room full of guns. And if they come for me, I'll go down fighting. But until then. The trout are running, so that's what matters. Right, like, right. That is a, I, look, I get it. That's a totally rational deal. Um, and I, you know, like, how do you convince these guys, no, actually, we need you in the fight? Like, that's that's sort of an exist existential question for the right right now is, and I think the answer, and I don't want to turn this into an anti-Trump thing, but I think the answer is you're going to have a happy warrior. Like they have to be inspired by someone who is the face and the leader of the conservative movement or the revivalist movement or whatever you want to call it that comes next. You're going to have to have somebody who people really want to follow. Um, and I, this goes back to my constant critique of Trump. He's too caustic. Right. And he's apocalyptic now. Um, and that is that you know that's not going to get those people out of the lake house and i'm you know I'm that's not sure though that just i mean desantis might get them to vote for him but i don't know that it gets them out of the lake house to you know actually act for anything well that's just it and just, based on the rollout of desantis so far nah, you know he's gonna have to he's gonna have to do a lot better than that because there's no, it's very hard to find inspirational figures on the right. There are fighters, and some of them are very good. Like, I mean, I love the stuff Jim Jordan's doing. I love the stuff Josh Hawley's doing. Tom Cotton, you know, Cruz at times does really well. Rand Paul does. I mean, there are people out there who are fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. I would put Carlson in there. I think Tucker's probably the best of all of them. Um, but how many are really inspirational figures? We've not developed that yet. And I think that's something that needs to be a point of emphasis. If there's some right-wing cabal, vast right-wing conspiracy out there that's you know going to try to take the country back over, 
they need to find somebody who can give this a, a happy face, you know, while we're out there slitting throats, right? And and that's not being done. Um, having said all that, um, nobody on the right is as bad as Randy Weingarten, right? And this is this is the good thing because, like, you talk about somebody who is uh, the most anti-charismatic public figure in America is her right now. Um, and it's just flat out amazing how she continues to be the face of the left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the teachers unions are like, they've got both feet on this crazy, insane transgender movement in the schools and I, I, I don't, I mean, Melissa, do you have any thoughts on this? Cause I'm at a loss as to why they think this is a good idea. Well, I think that, um, it, Randy Weingarten, I think we need to go back to the root. So when we never knew who this woman was before the pandemic and before she and Fauci were, um, coming together with their little evil schemes for education in America and shutting everything down and being super dramatic and catering to teachers who were lazy, especially in the inner cities who um, like the average loss over their lifetime of the kids who were stuck at home during the pandemic is going to be over $70,000. I can't remember what the scholar was who came up with that, but like, just terrible and so right. the so the american people while this was all a, a strangely fortunate event happened while all these kids were at home his parents got to see what was actually being taught we would not have known about this uh psycho sex crap that was being put into the libraries that the the critical race theory that was pervasive in the curriculum had the kids not been at home and parents sitting like I was next to my kid who was on his computer and go wait a minute what and looking right. over what the teacher just said and right. going wait a minute what did I just hear right and then yeah when you're then, proctoring your kid's education and all of a sudden getting into the guts of it it's like uh nobody told me that this is what you were learning. right and so like part of what you're we're seeing is just a shock reaction uh, of what had been a, a kind of slowly rolling and building that people didn't know. And now we've got this like actual fight coming out because the parents are like, no. Right. And, and, and we, and, and we were seeing it in ways that like, um, for example, the rape that happened in loud and public schools happened before the pandemic. Yeah. It, came, it came out during that time and that was just covered up. This dude was dressed, you know, like a girl going into female bathrooms and raping people. Yep. I mean, it, so, so that kind of thing radicalized Americans and they're like, wait a minute. And then they're finding it in their own school districts and going, hold up. And, um, and so now we have this like fight and, the teachers unions, the librarians, these uh, communists, for the most part, certainly cultural Marxists, 
um, are the ones and, you know, to like the people associated with and going into education uh, schools across the nation, you know, it's not the best and the brightest who are being called to be teachers. No, no we've got a long, like for a long time, just interject this, yeah. where Melissa is coming from on this is for a very long time, they have done studies on the SAT and ACT scores of the kids who go into all of the various majors on a college campus. And consistently for like 20 years, yeah. the lowest are in education. Right. They're just, they, I mean, like that is just sort of the, you know, the catch all. Well, you just get a degree in education and go teach. Well, for kind of the least talented kids in the college, right? All the stupid theater kids who are all having sex with, with each other. Right. Who couldn't make it in Hollywood or even in local, you know, community theater go into teaching right and, and so they go into teaching they're stupid going into it because they are a product of our educational system and coming out the other side they're no smarter and then we're seeing like libs of tiktok and some of these other kind of you know twitter things where we're seeing these teachers who are moral monsters and, and we keep finding out that, you know, these transgender folks are, you know, they're having sex with students, they're having sex parties, they're having, you know, giving out chest binders in their class. Uh, they're they're, tra they're um, trucking in uh, child porn. And, you know, the one of the stats that came out recently that as a mother of a an autistic son who went through the public schools horrified me is 30% of special needs children are sexually assaulted while in the public school system. Yeah. One third. I mean, so, it's, like, it's like, you know, you get the, these schools are basically like leaving your kid with uncle Ernie from like, from right. Tommy from the who, if you, you get that right. ancient reference. I mean, yeah. well, and, it, it, and some of this, um, I want to kind of shift over because the other thing that Randy Weingarten is in trouble for now mm -hmm. is that she was in front of a house committee yesterday mm -hmm. and got um, pigeonholed on the question of COVID and mm -hmm. school shutdowns. Mm -hmm. And here's the quote. This is nuts that she said this. We spent every day from February on trying to get schools open. We knew that remote education was not a substitute for opening schools. We know that young people learn and connect best in person. So opening schools safely, even during a pandemic, guided our actions, which I will describe in detail. So Randy Weingarten, who absolutely, I mean, is on camera so many times, it's not even funny, mm -hmm. from 2020 and 2021, insisting on schools being closed, right. is now in a house committee saying, oh no, we did everything we could to get them open. And yeah. I mean, she perjured herself in, in front of Congress. She's and a it's amazing. liar is what she is. If the, the, the person who's Good been question. the best on this has been Mary Catherine Ham, yeah. because she has like three kids who are, or two kids who are that age. She's just like maniacally outraged and was during the the pandemic about this and rightly so thank god my kids were older but these parents who have young children and then to have randy weingarten lie to everybody's faces when it was she who ruined the the 
absolute daily lives of people. They, the left talks about wanting to uh, help working mothers. They basically destroy it. Now, here's me not feeling too badly about that, actually, because I think kids need their parents at home, especially their moms. Uh, but that, that makes me archaic. But the thing is, is that for the families who have to work, like the nurse who was at the hospital when, who took care of my son, um, I, she, she was devastated. She, I mean, she couldn't, she was having to leave her children at home, work on opposite days. Her one son was like, ah, eh, forget it, would log into school in the morning and leave and, and should have been in the classroom. The thing is, is that what was most maddening is while she was going through that in Houston, up here where we live, the kids were already back in school. Right. So like these big city Democrat places just absolutely destroyed schooling for the most vulnerable children. I wrote an article about it way back and I was like, who's going to stand for the children? And so for Randy Weingarten to get up in front of a House committee and bald face lied to the American people. Why that woman? Do you know that woman makes over $400,000 a year? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what she actually does to get paid that money. So, but wait, so this is, this is like the great piece. Um, She then goes on CNN. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's on with Scott Jennings, right? Mm -hmm. Not exactly the most conservative people, but this is, and I'm going to read you what Jennings said, because it's like, you know, your, your jaw is going to drop when you hear this. So he says this, he says, we don't know each other, but speaking on behalf of millions of American parents, I have four at home. I had to teach them at home. My wife had to teach them at home. I am stunned at what you have said this week about your claiming to have wanted to reopen schools. I think you'll find that most parents believe you were the tip of the spear of school closures. There are numerous statements you made over the summer of 2020, scaring people to death about the possibility of opening schools. And I hear no remorse whatsoever about the generational damage that's been done to these kids. I have two kids with learning differences. Do you know how hard it is for them to learn at home and not in a classroom that was designed for them? And for you to sit in front of Congress and the American people and say, what? I wanted to open them the whole time. I'm shocked. I'm stunned. And there are millions of parents who feel the exact same way. So Randy Weingarten goes on CNN and she gets completely brutalized, which means there is no respite. There is no refuge for Randy Weingarten right now. Like when CNN is ready to, to, to hang you from the nearest tree, you're in some trouble. Um, I'm reminded of the, the the final scene of Dangerous Liaisons when Glenn Close shows up at the theater and everybody boos her. And the, the end of the thing is her like taking her makeup off while she's crying. Like mm-hmm. that's Randy Weingarten, except that there's no makeup to take off, or at least I would hope there's none. Um, yeah. Because uh, if so, then she's not good at that either. Um, but I mean... I'm wondering if this isn't really the end of her. I'm wondering if this is not, okay, you've kind of outlived your usefulness because nobody's buying your BS anymore and we're going to have to bring somebody else in to run AFT. If it is, she will be the only public official uh, uh, of any stature to have paid the price for what was done to the American people and really the world during COVID. That's right. And so- uh, I'm not sure 
that the people who made all of the scaredy cats in America, are they willing to look in the mirror about their own part to play in this evil saga? And I'm not sure that people are willing to acknowledge it yet. Well, we were all afraid. We didn't know. The fact is, though, we did know. I mean, I was writing about it during the thing. Mary Catherine Hamm was screeching as it was happening. People were suffering and no one in authority gave a crap. And Randy Weingarten is exhibit A. But I mean, even look at Fauci. Fauci doesn't even have the sense or humility to go, just you retired, go away. But yeah. no, he's still out there, still defending the indefensible. And I hope- At this point, he's the poster child for diminishing returns. You realize that, right? Like fewer and fewer people give a damn what Anthony Fauci says, even on the left. Yeah, um, I know that. But the thing is, is that I feel like there has to be some sort of reckoning Oh, oh yeah. Well, mean, you know me. I've said that over. I mean, I'm I'm like well, I'm blue in the shirt, but I'm also blue in the face. <laughs> well, for heaven said, yeah, consequences, right? right. Like, where are the consequences? Right. Um, but you know, uh, and look, it may be it may be too little, too late. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like I'm loving the Randy Weingarten struggle session. Like I'm loving it <laughs> because um we finally maybe have an example of somebody who pays the price for the abject incompetence mm -hmm. and utter evil um, that she's been responsible for, for this whole, uh, this whole time. I mean, obviously COVID, obviously all of this incredible malfeasance going on in the schools with respect to the critical race theory piece and the, and the, the transgender piece and all of the other things. I mean, the lack of discipline in the schools, you would have thought that the teachers union president and the teachers unions as a whole would have fought hard, hard, hard against efforts to, you know, basically say that discipline in schools is racist. You would have thought that the teachers would have been like, oh, no, we're going to keep discipline in those classrooms because that's our people's safety and it's our people's job performance at stake. No, they didn't just surrender on that. They led the they led the charge against disciplining kids. And then they wonder why people don't want to stay in the teaching profession. Well, because right. if you're conscientious and you're you know, like serious about being good at your job and like, hey, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to teach these kids. And if I've got a couple of unruly little bastards, I'm going to find a way to get rid of them or make it at least unpalatable for them to continue to disrupt my class mm -hmm. need to have the, the freedom to be able to do something about that effectively. No, no, you just have to put up with them because if they happen to be black kids or they happen to be Mexican kids or something, then, well, we certainly can't have that because we need to make sure that the bad kids experience in school, particularly if they're in a racial minority, that boy, you can't make sure that their experience is a negative one. Everybody else who's not causing trouble can have a negative experience, but they're not the squeaky wheels. And for the teachers unions and NEA and AFT have been absolutely in the forefront of this, have just completely let these schools annihilate their, their kids' education based on the presence of these bullies or these disruptive kids you know, and, and then, of course, they tell all the, well, you have to call a teacher. You can't deal with a bully yourself. 
which is not education by any means. You're not equipping people with skills for living life successfully. Um, and the teachers unions have been on the wrong side of every single one of these issues in the schools. And Randy Weingarten being the most prominent of these leaders, all of this is on her head. All you of know, it. You know what the problem is ultimately is that it's um, too feminized. And so oh, yeah. like, I mean, there's like, no doubt about that. So like all the way through all of this, this hyper safety focus ends right. up with unsafe environments for the majority and safe environments for the minority, like that hulking uh, six foot two transgender guy who's in, I don't know if you saw, is a inner city school, I think, and was fighting with a black girl and he was undressing, you know, basically um, exposing himself in the locker room. And then um, one of the girls from the school went up and, and spoke about it at the school board meeting. But who are we protecting? So we were protecting the feelings of, you know, sexually confused males throughout society. And the feminists are the ones allowing this abuse against women because they want everyone to feel safe, but not actually the ones who need to be kept safe. That happened. So like, I'm going to give a little anecdote about this because it's, it's salient. My son who is autistic was being bullied at school. Um, He came home and thankfully my daughter was in the same school. So I knew about it. That's how I found out. And I went to the school and I said, this is happening. Put a stop to it. And the principal was a complete moron. Um, And I could tell another story about that. It was shameful how dumb she actually was. She couldn't understand a math uh, problem and couldn't understand why I had a problem with her inability to understand the solution to the math problem. But that's another discussion. So anyway, but I told them, you've got to keep my son safe. All right, that's your job. He's autistic. He doesn't have the social understanding to know that, you know, what's going to happen. So this kid was picking on him. I told my son, I was like, listen, next time he bothers you, you punch him as hard as you can in the face. I mean, you just really like, if it means breaking his nose, do it. And he's like, mom, I don't want to hit anybody. And so the kid picked on him again and he came home and I told him again, punch him in the face. So the next day the kid picked on him again and he hauled off. And punched him in the face. Right. Now that kid started crying. My son got called to the principal. And then um, I get a phone call. And uh, from the the administration saying. I have have a mental picture of how this went. But go ahead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can imagine. Uh And I was like, oh, really? So my son punched the kid who was bullying him is. Do I have that cry? Yes. Well, what are we going to do about this? I was like, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm not doing anything. I think I'm going to feed him pizza tonight. Exactly. Have a celebration. I was like, she's like, well, we usually, you know, suspend kids who resort to violence. I was like, do what you have to do. But I told you he was being bullied and you did nothing. And I cannot leave my, I can't be there at school with my autistic son to protect him. And clearly it's not a priority for you. So he has to protect himself and I'm not going to let him go in the world unprotected. So he comes home and, you know, (laughs) he feels bad. 
And I was like, don't feel bad. You know, he's like, I didn't want to hurt him. I was like, I know you didn't, but he's not going to do it again. And then, so then to compound things, now my then husband, I said, you need to go to school for lunch and see what's going on with this kid and, you know, whatever. So <laughs> my husband goes over there to the middle school later in the week, has lunch with my son and says, all right, who's the kid who you punched? And he points to the kid. So he makes, Steve makes a beeline over to that kid. And the teachers now, knowing what had happened, are all up in arms. Wah! You know, everything's going on. And he's bringing Harrison over. And what he did was, he's like, you know, have you been bothering Harrison? Well, yes, I have. Um, why? And he's like, well, I just want to be his friend. So this kid was socially awkward, too, but didn't know what to do. All right? Right. And he's like, well you can't pester people and push people around. That's not how you become friends. And Harrison, you know, um, would you like to be this kid's friend? Yes. Okay. You, boys shake on it. And that was it. Right. And then it, was it turned gone. out to be a friendship punch. It, yes. Like why are the school people against friendship punches? Exactly. What's wrong with you guys? So by the yeah, time and actually that story is not, um, it's not a bizarre story. No, it's, it's a very... kind of thing that kind of naturally happens, right? Um, in um, in the world, um, and I, you know, this is what you get with these schools being as poorly run as they are, right? Um, so, you know, the the thing is, is that we've got this whole situation where the emphasis is wrong, and and so someone like Weingarten is elevated. And we, we need, she needs to go. And I'm hoping that with all of the changes and, and just, I hope everybody gets the newest issue of the American Spectator because we have some awesome solutions. There's some things that are just going to defang the power structure that somebody like Randy Weingarten has. And we, in some ways, have her to thank for lifting the rock on what was actually going in on, on in public schools so that we even knew that there was a fight to be had. And now a lot of parents are radicalized and a lot of solutions are being put forth that are going to make it so much better for this next generation of kids educationally. The, the market can so obviously fix education. Yes. Uh, the market can so obviously fix the teaching profession. I yes. mean, every time... And I, me and teachers is like a, a, a thing because I, I've dealt with so many of them. I mean, even not even having kids, just for whatever reason, I end up talking with school teachers way more often than I would freaking choose to. But what I notice over and over and over again is the never ending complaints about how crappy the job is, right? Mm. Oh, it's so bad. I've done this for 15 years and it's such a horrible profession, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you get three months off in the summer. Yeah, but they don't pay me enough for the rest of the time. Okay, mm -hmm. I understand. Um, but they don't treat us like professionals. That's like the big thing. It's like, I'm a professional and nobody treats me like that. And it's, so I hit them with this and they hate it. I'm like, you know, um, if somebody were to design the educational system from scratch now, knowing what we know, Mm -hmm. They would model the teaching profession off of something like doctors or lawyers or accountants, right? And very many teachers would just hang up a shingle and attract students. Yes. 
Mm. Right? Like that's because that's what a professional does. You hang up a shingle right. and you right. have clients who come right. into your office and, you know, seeking your and services. And if you're no you good, you have no clients. I yeah, if you're no you. good, you have no clients. You yeah. start and then you get out of that business and find something else to do. But if you are good, it's no trouble making six figures. Right. I mean, I, I only pay me $50,000 a year. I'm like, yeah, because you live in it. I mean, like you work in a unionized bureaucracy where merit is not even part of the factor. It's all based on seniority. Yep. So, of course, it's a crappy job. And if, I mean, like it's set up basically the same as though you were a freaking line worker at a factory making widgets. Right. Because that's how John Dewey and the rest of these clowns who set up the public education system in this country, that's how they like that was the mentality was right. that, well, we, we, this is an assembly line. Like we're going to we're going to have a factory. Um, but the world doesn't work that way anymore. Um, I mean, most of the factories are automated. So it's like totally, it's totally, it has no, no basis in anything. And so everybody's unhappy. Um, where this is a service industry. Like, I mean, this is a, it's a, a professional service industry. Um, there are so few teachers who like get that and would welcome the idea of doing it. The ones who, who you know, have that mentality are out there putting together their learning pods and micro schools. I mean, they're actually innovating and yeah. showing the way for the next couple of decades in education. But the and, people and the thing who is, the, is that the public school system will have to get better. And it is. So like, I'm not, I, I'm not going to dog on public school completely. So let me tell you what happened with my other kid. So he had a bone marrow transplant and he's in a school where it's a public school. It's all online. He can get up when he wants to. There are the teachers have hours. They put out the, you know, the various uh, things that they have to do. They teach. And then you can watch the video if you need help. But if, for example, you're like my kid, who's like a savant with history and government and all of that, and can do it just like in his sleep, he just blew through the class in a couple of weeks. And these are AP classes, by the way, right. did all the assignments, did great. And it can move to the other thing. And then the things that he needs more help with, uh, he gets more help with, goes to the tutoring sessions with a teacher online. Right. Um, and it's and he can work, he works a part-time job. He can recover at home from his illness, which is what he's needed to do. And he doesn't have to get up. Like if he went to high school this last year, he would be up at 5.30 to be at school at 6, right. 6.30 because of the way the, you know, his cross country and stuff doing it before school starts, which is, it's, you know, just after seven. So the thing is, is that like, he has all this kind of educational freedom and the public schools will adapt because they'll have to, and they'll be better yeah. because they have to be better. Well, and the issue isn't so much whether it's public school or private school or whatever. The right. issue is breaking this, this obsolete mold that American right. education is based on. And that mold makes it easier for the wackos to insinuate themselves into these institutions right. and cause trouble. So, and, you know, I, before we get uh, too far gone in this, I, I, like I wanted to bring up, um, so here in Louisiana, we were in the middle of a legislative session and we just had the bill this morning um, on uh, transgender surgeries for minors. It's a ban on it. 
uh, which, you know, an organization that I'm affiliated with actually polled the state on this issue and a bunch of others. Oh, really? I'm not going to give you the numbers because we haven't released them yet, but I mean, off the charts, okay? Off the mm-hmm. charts, the people of this state have absolutely no interest in having transgender surgeries for minors. Right. Not, okay? Right. I mean, the only people who are for it, and of course they're big time for it, are self-professed white liberals, right. which I don't even call them white liberals anymore. They're the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because these people are for every societal rot that you can imagine. And they're like passionately for it. Everybody else, okay, everybody else, you know, black people, Mexican, Hispanic people, you know, men and women, college grads, what, like everybody else is like, no, get rid of that. We don't want it. Right. Um, so anyway, this bill comes in. And this is like the third or fourth bill dealing with transgender and LGBTQ stuff in uh, with kids there was a pronoun bill uh that you know about schools there was a uh uh an anti-grooming bill kind of like the florida bill Mm -hmm. um and then you know you had this one and i mean when you bring one of these there's a strategy the left will break out every single wacko they can find Okay, they will bust them in. And I mean, and this happens, this has happened in every state legislature that's tried to address these kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. It's a parade. It will last six hours or more in these committee hearings. And I mean, over and over and over again, you will get these like very weird people. And it's pretty obvious whoever is recruiting them to come to the legislature to to come and testify Mm -hmm. on these bills, like is telling them, okay, don't dress up. Don't, you know, don't make yourself looking, you know, look professional. Don't, you know, don't present as somebody who's like normal. They can Dye your hair from purple to brown. <laughs> there was somebody with like a week ago when they had the first couple of these bills uh, and it was in the same committee on the same day. So like, it, yeah, like people come and they testify and then a couple hours later they're back and it's like, oh, you again. Um, but there was somebody that showed up with a blue face, like, you know, like took like blue eyeshadow and like smeared it all over his face with a big old, you know, gigantic drag queen freaking uh, wig. I think I saw I'm gonna that. Tell, yeah, yeah, you saw it because it's all over. Greg Price yeah. put it all over Twitter. Yeah. Um, And it's like, okay, who are you going to persuade? You look like a clown, like literally That's like right. a clown. Like, Wait, what did he say he it. identified as a baby? I can't even remember about 30 (laughs) seconds in I was like I can't handle this I've got to mute it and (laughs) look at a different tab on my browser because this is just driving me nuts right you know the point is anybody with a room temperature IQ knows you're not going to persuade anybody with that the point is not to persuade them the point when they bring these people out is to so mortify everybody on these committees um, and just so depress and demoralize them that they, you, know, you bring this bill and this is who shows up. And so, like, you know, the members of that, particularly the Republican members of that committee, are like all over the state rep that brought the bill. Don't ever bring that again. I don't want to see those people again. Right. right? It's like... This is unpleasant. I had to sit, sit through six hours of wackos calling me a bigot. I don't want to deal with that. That's not what I ran for the legislature to have to put up right. with. 
and so which like i don't blame them for saying that if i had to sit through that and these people are howling in my face and i'm like 10 feet away right i'd be like oh my god get me out of here right mm -hmm. you know i mean you're there you want to like you i mean first of all you don't want to deal with these people so there's a temptation to go God, aren't we here to talk about like spending this $46 billion state budget? Don't we need to build roads and bridges? Don't we need to do like actual governance things? And here we are fighting these crazy social battles, whatever. And so it's a valid perspective if this is not your thing. But the problem is, and, and we on the right get twisted around this over and over and over again. Um, the people bringing the anti-LGBTQ bills, whether it's the trans surgery ban or the pronoun bill or the anti-grooming bill or any of this stuff, they're playing defense. Right. They're not on offense. The people on offense are the wackos with the blue face and the freaking stripper wig. Okay. Right. That's who's on offense. That's who's trying to change our society in ways that are not proven to be successful. And of course, you look at the outcomes within that community. And I'm not, this is not an anti gay rant because the trans people and the gay people are at some point are going to start to realize they're not the same. Well, right? I think like, a lot I of gay people realized. do realize that now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the point is, is it's like, those are not successful lifestyles. There are various degrees of unsuccessful lifestyles, but the trans thing, when two out of five of them post-op have, you know, attempt suicide, yeah. that's not a successful lifestyle. That is a behavioral pathology that's built off of a delusion. And I'm watching this morning the testimony from the witnesses against the bill, one of whom was this you know quack doctor who's always saying well it's not a, a distorted uh mindset to be trans just there's nothing distorted about that it's like this is a woman doctor no it was a guy and not like a guy who used to be a woman it was like a guy guy and he's like, yeah, there's that you that's not that's not real. You can't you can't say that this is a you know that this is a, a delusion. It's like, yeah, but it's a dysphoria. It's gender dysphoria. He's like, well, that that's a term that really is is on its way out because this that's not really what this is. Yeah, it's, it's about like, no, it's money. a guy who thinks he's a girl. That's not, in other words, that's a mentality that doesn't conform to reality. Do you not like you don't see the no, that's that's an outdated. Uh, uh, that's an outdated view of this, and that's not that's not real. Mm -hmm. What? Like, I mean, you know, and if, and if somebody, one of the members of the committee, was like, "So, how much of your practice is this?" Like, in other words, if we pass this bill, how, bill, how much money is it going to cost you? He didn't like that question at all. Well, <laughs> oh, I mean, no, that would be that would be my question because the thing is, is like, well, and he wouldn't you know, answer. Right, right because, of course. because the answer was, you know, y'all gonna put me out of business. Um, right. But anyway, so the point was, is, and so they parade all these people and this committee, like this thing started at nine o'clock and we started recording our deal like at two and it was still going on that same bill. It was the first bill they did. So this thing had gone six hours nonstop, okay? And wasn't even over 
by the time you and I got started to record this podcast. Wow. So, I mean, it's not even six hours. It's probably seven, seven and a half hours. The bill ended up coming out of that committee on a 14 to three vote. A bunch of Democrats actually were for the bill. And some of the people who are the most anti uh, the LGBTQ people where there were black Democrats. Uh, Kenny Cox, who's a state rep from like Natchitoches, Louisiana, and is a former army captain, I think. Mm-hmm. Old guy, right? He's just, left as the day is long, but he's not socially left at all. Right. <laughs> so they kept popping these terms, these jargon terms out. <laughs> and Kenny had no, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what was that again you said? Could you explain that to me? Because I've never heard that one before. <laughs> It's like over right. and they're all just like, oh, that's one of the Democrats and he's not with us. And he's like, oh, now how does that work again? Like, you know, when he asked this this one woman about top surgery, oh. it was I mean, it was depressing, but it was hilarious. He's like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. What 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 was that tax? What tax? What is that tax surgery? No, no. Top surgery. And he's like, well, well, whoa, what is that? It's like, um, it's a double mastectomy. He's like. Oh, you mean, and like, you couldn't see the whole thing, but he was kind of like, <laughs> you mean like, like, <laughs> so, you know, they're all just like, hey, I don't know that we have his vote because he seems like he's pretty revolted. Oh, because he's a I mean, normal you know, person. Like, well, yeah, he's from Natchitoches, Louisiana. What do you expect? Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, and this thing is going to pass and, um, at least in the House, my guess is, is, you know, the rhinos in the state Senate may very well try to shelve it so that they don't have to take a tough vote on it. Really? This is my problem. No, it's not. That's the point. But in every, in Louisiana, it's, this is definitely true, but I think it's true in um, most places. You walk yeah. in the door of a state capitol, mm-hmm. okay, and reality is left on the steps, because that place is full of nothing but lobbyists and bureaucrats and everything else. And the mentality inside that building is like whatever the big newspaper in the state says it is, Mm because that's like the last place in the state they actually read the big newspaper. Um, And so, you know, like one of the reasons this organization that I'm involved with did this poll was to penetrate that. Hey, this is what the people actually believe around here. And the numbers on this thing were off the charts. I mean, it was like, wow, the people of Louisiana are further to the right than anybody thinks. It's like, well, yeah, it's because they read the advocate, they think that. But none of this is all that big a surprise. These are all, they're not even divisive issues with the public. The only people that don't agree are the white leftists who run the advocate, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But everybody else, Joe Sixpack, I mean, none of this stuff is is a controversy to him. He's like, what? They're just like Kenny Cox. What, what, what the hell is top surgery, right? And when you tell them, they go, what? You know, I mean, they're horrified. So, you know, and this gets back, I guess we're kind of circling back to the front, which maybe means the podcast is close to over. This gets back to what Tucker Carlson was talking about, mm-hmm. both in his speech at Heritage and also in that um, Twitter video that he cut. Yeah. Um, uh you know, with respect to look, you know, most of the people out there are great people, right? They're hilarious people. And what you figure out talking to them is that the stuff they talk about on cable news is stupid. Those are not the right issues. Those are not the big things. Um, But you're not allowed to talk about the real stuff. 
because, you know, you're in this stupid bubble. And I think that's probably true. Um, you know, uh, now the question is, is does the media bubble envelop real life or does real life pop the media bubble? Because that may be the first step toward some sort of revival of the country or, you know, whatever. I Before. used to think that the real world enveloped the media bubble. But as long as the media bubble encapsul encapsulates the um, cultural elites, both in the government and corporations and all the institutions, if you have captured the churches at the top, if you have captured the the um, college right. campuses at the top, right. it almost doesn't matter uh, what uh, the reality is, which is for most. Well, the of reality us, goes underground, is the thing, right? Well, right. Well, for most of us in America, we're interacting with people black, white, and yellow. We it doesn't matter. We we are friends. We everybody's going. People are going to work, doing the best they can. That sort of thing. Right. retirees are sitting around trout fishing and uh gloating about like smog on their whatever and letting the letting the world go by but the the actual media bubble is or has been which is why they fought like such badgers against twitter and they're you know shrieking like vampires who have seen the light when it comes to Elon Musk letting everybody being able to talk about things. And again. they were that way about Trump too. And they're that way about Trump. And they continue to be that way about Trump. And the in the vast middle, the kind of uh, elites on the right, like who you're talking about, the rhinos, and let's don't like talking about stuff that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. So the the media narrative that, you know, they, they want to be on the side of Anthony Fauci because the people because the cool kids are on there. There's not a lot of thought there. I, I think no. the, where you, well, it's the old appeal to authority fallacy, right? Like, well, oh, Fauci knows what he's talking about. It's like, yeah, but he's compromised. He's a crook. Right. You no. Know? And like, yeah. this is the problem is, is that you've placed all your faith in people who are evil and corrupt and incompetent. And the results have been bad, which you now own, right? Like well, that the is, thing the is that those people though are part of it they view themselves as oh, yeah. one of those elites. So right. it, it, they don't come crashing into, the elites don't come crashing into reality until the the um, unwashed masses decide to say, screw you, we're not drinking your shitty beer. Right. And then they go, oh, there are people out there who have different opinions than me and the people I brunch with. Right. And this is why I was kind of going after left and right, because the elites really aren't different on the left or right side. No, that's and the, right. And the people who are not willing to get involved or like it goes to the Senate to die in in Louisiana, when the people of the state of Louisiana are overwhelmingly against this nonsense. And then you've got a couple, you know, old wealthy senators in Louisiana saying, well, this is to even talk about this offends my sensibilities and we're just going to shove it. And then the left wins. They're well, moving. and just so to, to, to reinforce your point, last year, uh, Mike Fazy, who's a great conservative uh, senator uh, from um, the Homa area, um, brought this same bill in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And he had to drop it. He couldn't even get it mm -hmm. through the committee. Like, he t 
take the vote before the thing even came up and realized he didn't have but like two votes out of eight or whatever in the Senate mm -hmm. uh, or in that the Senate, I guess, health and welfare committee in the Senate. He was like, man, I can't even, I'm going to get murdered on this and like, couldn't even bring the bill. And, you know, of course, the other way this works and I, Louisiana may be all different from other states, but I suspect probably not all of the legislative staffers. Okay. The people that actually mm -hmm. write the bills, they're mm -hmm. all leftists. So when you bring a conservative bill, they will in like, um, intentionally butcher the bill and right. make it so that when you bring it to committee, it's such a mess right. that, you know, it has to be amended five or six times and they go, well, the way it's written is not, you know, going to get you and like, wait a minute. I, you know, like, I'm not like a lawyer. I brought the bill. I'm a state legislator and a businessman. I'm bringing the bill to try to get this policy aim accomplished. Right. There's a way to do this. Right. Well, yeah, well, yours is not the way the bill's got to be written. So you defer the bill and then it never comes back up and they've beaten you for a year. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps so, going and, and we just keep going further leftward and the, well, but that's a yeah. failure of the Republicans who run the legislature right. to clean clean house on the staff. Okay, the Democrats were in charge. Now we're firing everybody. Oh, but these are civil service. But I don't mm -hmm. care. They're partisan leftists, and they got to go. Right, right. Like they got to go. So they're you guys are all gone, um, and we're bringing in people from Heritage and Cato and whatever who are now going to be the legislative staffers. We're going to train people up, and we're going to make this place Republican, which is. Like that's a partisan thing, but that's just like that's a, that's the use of political power one on one, and Republicans are bad at this stuff. I mean, like there was a time when the GOP was really good. That was like 1932 when Hoover got beat by FDR, and the GOP's never considered itself a majority governing party since. No, nope. this gets back to all of the stuff I was talking about when I wrote the Revivalist Manifesto is. When the GOP becomes good enough to revive America, America will become revived. But these are the things that need to be done. And it's the use of power, right? It's like, okay, we're going to do the, the Attila the Hun work that has to be done to right. clear out the left in places we have the power to clear them out. And it's icky because they're going to make it very unpleasant. And the committee hearing on the bill is going to be seven hours full of freaking wackos calling you a bigot. Okay. Right. You have to go through it. This is what it right. takes to win. Right. You know? Um, and I, you know, it's, I, I think it's a realization that, Hey, you know, you have to have fighters and some of them are going to be a little embarrassing like Marjorie Taylor Greene when they're willing to say things that like, Oh God, now we're going to have that fight. Yeah, we are because right. it may be unpleasant, but we have to have it. Right. I mean, sorry. If the other side was, you know, old school Daniel Patrick Moynihan liberals who wanted all the same things that we want. OK. And it was all about, like Tucker said in his deal, it's, you know, we used to match white papers with them, like our right. white paper versus your white paper and may the best white paper win. Right. Like that's not what it is anymore. It's good and evil. OK. And the other side doesn't have this same mentality of, you know, well, we want the same things that the right does. No, they want to trans your kids. OK. Right. Right. I mean, this is what they're they're no longer saying, well, we want abortion to be safe, legal and rare. They're shouting their abortions. OK. And when you're up against those people, you better be a fighter because they're not going to make compromises with you that don't involve them getting over on you.
So you better get used to the win-lose mentality in these negotiations, these battles, and stop trying to do win-win with a bunch of people who hate you. Doesn't work. And if you don't believe, you know, if you don't believe this in a legislative session, the setting, go look at China, right? We try to do the win-win thing with China and we got cleaned out. And we'll be lucky if we manage to hold on to superpower status by the time all this is over as a result of that. If we, I mean, do a thought experiment. I mean, and this, this kind of fits right into this discussion. Go do a thought of experiment and think about what would have happened if we would have never given China most favored nation trade status. Where would China be? Probably where they were in 1979, right? They wouldn't have, I mean, they would have grown some, but not all that much. If we would have held the line against them, if our politicians hadn't been bought up by the Chinese, Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the crew, yeah. would have been a whole different reality. But, you know, this is what happens when you give away the store. And our side has just been horrible about this. We're, you know, we, we could say the Republican Party is the stupid party. It's not. It's the complacent party. You know, these are the people that just kind of float along and we make our deals with the other side and we got ours and everything's going to be fine. And you realize that you slip a little bit every year. And now we've slipped so far. It's like, oh, my God, where did my country go? And it's like, well, how much time do you have? Because I can explain the entire thing to you. Well, it's the compromise party. Oh, sure. And, and so that and that that's why I go back to the moral thing. It makes them weak and it makes them put up with a whole lot because they are compromised. And so yep. until they deal with their own individual um, lack of virtue, they're going to have real trouble fighting on the behalf of virtue for the American people. And so got to have your feet placed on solid ground if you're you going to got to have your feet placed on solid ground. I remember having this and I might have talked about this before, but Andrew Breitbart and I talked about this and he said, if I was ever caught doing something immoral wrong, like cheating on his wife or doing something bad, I the left would use it and I would be completely ineffective. Too few people on the right understand that. Right. And too many people on the right because of their various whatever are compromised. And so that makes them compromise with what you know American values are. And so then it comes to the American people to finally have to say no when it comes to and surprise these different organizations like Nike and beer companies and Maybelline with their stupid uh, all this stuff and and just stop. We don't want this. You cannot, and this shove your uh, dystopian cultural revolution down our throats. We say no, and but we have a representative government. We're a republic, and uh, one of the things that I said today on Twitter is that what you know when uh, Biden talks about saving democracy, that's what he means. He wants mob democracy equals mob justice. He wants that uh, the majority of crazy people to be overwhelming the regular people. But we're in a republic. We have representatives who are supposed to represent our values in Washington, D.C. from the place that they're from. That has to start happening. And that's what we need to save: a republic if we can keep it. And we need to boot the mob and tell them 
if they want, this is why they're freaking out about the Supreme Court, because that's what they used whenever they couldn't get what they wanted legislatively. So we're kind of in this final throes of uh, grabbing and and uh, for power. And if the Republicans weren't so compromised, they would be winning everything in a song because the American people are on that side, but they're not. And so because of that, we're in the situation that we're in. So for the people who are in the comment sections of the American Spectator, I enjoy your largesse that you've had and retire and happy, but take a percentage of your time and fight for this country. Um, if you're a boomer and you managed to be after you know Vietnam and never have had to fight for anything, make this your fight now. And, and if you have to give us money so we can fight on your behalf um, uh, and help those organizations that are actually trying to make a difference, but do something because the country is at stake and it is not a theoretical thing. And if you can't see it falling down all around you, the fact that we're even having to have a conversation about letting boys and men into women's locker rooms shows how far it's gone. Well, and remember, not a single Democrat in the House voted for that bill that would ban right. boys in girls sports. Not a single one. Not a single one. I mean, that should tell you where, I mean, you can't get, and I mean, the thing of it is, is that women's sports has never been a conservative um, sacrament. Right. Like that is never that that's never even really been our deal. There was a time when we got accused of being, you know, um, anti women's sports. Right. I mean, I, I, it's not that long ago we were accused of that. And now we're the ones fighting for it. Um, it feels kind of weird because if you go hang around with the women's we're, we're not people, just fighting so many women. of them don't agree with us politically and yet we're the ones fighting for them and not a single one of the democrats takes up for the women it's not women's sports we're fighting for the biological scientific reality it. that like, men and women it. are different and so the thing is this is why you're seeing some conservatives at least get up in arms because this is a fight for reality, sure. what the left is fighting against is they want to believe that they can they control biology and make reality what they want it to be. That's right. Melissa, they believe that they're God. They don't believe, they believe in God. They think they're God. They think and they're at God. the end of the day, it's the, that's the reason why, um, you know, the white paper versus white paper uh, um, paradigm is gone. We don't believe the same things. I mean, that, you know, that vote in the House a week and a half ago or whatever it was, was was sort of the final declaration that, hey, there are two diametrically opposite worldviews going on in America right now, and they cannot coexist with one another. One of them has got to win and one of them has got to lose. And if that other side wins... I mean, I, you know, you're and talking about a when, dark, dark time co coming ahead. We, yes, we go back to... Um, I don't even know that we go back to anything. Because even in the dark ages, there was a very, you know, rich understanding of the world as it was. 
right? right? Nasty brutish and short though it may have been. Um, I mean, you know, like there was not, a, there weren't any people running around in medieval Europe um, who were professing the kinds of things that the left is professing now. This is something totally new, totally unproven and almost certainly disastrous in a way that couldn't possibly um, be survived as previous dark times have been survived. Um, and now those are the stakes and that's why this stuff is important. And it's the reason that in our own ways, Melissa and I are um, screaming into the void um, on, you know, not even politics, just society and life and, and the future of our culture. Because it's at stake and it, we've never been, you know, in the civil, like the civil war. Okay. I mean, you had 600,000 Americans die uh, over slavery in almost every other issue. Um, the people in the North, the people in the South, Democrats, Republicans, pro-slavery abolitionists, they believed in the same God. They believed in the same American revolution. They believed in the same basic values. They just couldn't resolve their differences on slavery. And that was a very savage conflict. What do you think you get when you have two sets of people living on the same ground who are diametrically opposed to each other from the standpoint of basic civilizational values? That mean, you want to talk about the potential for a catastrophic civil war conflict um you know and i, I mean I, this is going to have to be won politically culturally it can't be it can't I, you can't have this go kinetic because if it does um it might be one of the biggest calamities in the history of the world if not the biggest and i mean I, that sounds apocalyptic i get it but i mean if you saw this debate going on at this committee in Louisiana today and the people that showed up um, on the on the issue of, hey, you know, don't chop the genitals off of a 14 year old. Mm -hmm. You'd think people would be ashamed to come out and talk about, oh, well, you know, you can't ban, you, know, you can't ban that. It's like they were religious on their objections to the idea of banning this. Um, you know, it, it's it's. It's demoralizing. It's disheartening. The fact that the thing passed out of committee 14 to three with some Democrat votes is really, really good news. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we'll see. But okay, it's all so around you. And this conflict is I mean, it's here and you have to fight it because if this thing gets worse and we get to the point where um, you can't win it civilizationally. Nobody's going to like what comes next. So on that note, everybody needs to like and share this podcast. Yes. And I, I'm, go I'm going to end with a quote from C.S. Lewis, since that's kind of where we started. I want to end with this quote. And, um, and then I will just be finished. But thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope that um, you continue to like and share the podcast and, and also um, write to us with your ideas and what you're thinking. So this is what C.S. Lewis said um, in The Abolition of Man. The serious magical endeavor and the serious scientific endeavor are twins. One was sickly and died, the other strong and throve, but they were twins. 
They were born of the same impulse. There's something which unites magic and applied science while separating both from the wisdom of early, earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the cardinal problem had been how to conform the soul to reality. And the solution had been knowledge, self-discipline, and virtue. For magic and applied science alike, the problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of men. Yep. The solution is a technique. And both in the practice of the technique are ready to do things hitherto regarded as disgusting and impious, such as digging up and mutilating the dead. And I would say such as cutting up our children for parts and pieces to make them transgender. The true object is to extend, extend man's power to the performance of all things possible. C.S. Lewis wrote this, uh, over 75 years ago, and it's no truer than it is today. I highly recommend that you read The Abolition of Man. I highly recommend that you read, especially that Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis, because those are the times we face again. He wrote them on the precipice and during World War II. Here we are uh, facing um, the similar kind of, we're marching to a similar kind of destruction. And that's why Scott and I are impassioned. It's not for uh, hatred of country. I, it's for love of country, for love of man, for love of the souls of people, and for the desire to make the world an ordered and ma maintain and create beauty um, and ha have peace that comes from operating within nature, within what is true. And you can't do that when you're fighting reality. Yep. So with that, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. And um, look forward to the American Spectator. The new print edition is coming out, which will be discussing some really hopeful things that are happening in education, at least. And it's a place to start. So thank you all for listening.